Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first topic of today comes from caller Dave from Diker Heights. Dave has a question from some articles that he's read about giving or transferring to his wife. And he would love to do so, but he's heard that there are some special uh, things to think about if you're married to somebody who's not a US citizen. So Jeff, today we'll be talking and helping Dave with the tax implications of giving or transferring to a non-citizen spouse. Well, we live in a place where we have constant migration of people. We welcome people to America and they come from all places and those people marry. Sometimes they marry U.S. citizens. And this is a fairly timely topic and an important topic, especially in the New York metro area. So, Dave, it's a good question. Ron, we talk about this and there's a lot of planning and tax considerations and legal considerations. Uh, what do you think? Well, let's start with the general rule. A non-citizen spouse does not receive the favorable tax treatment due to the, um, the unlimited marital deduction not being available. So what does that mean? Dave, if you were to give money to your spouse, to your wife, it would not fall under a qualified transfer, which means it is, it is gift tax free. It's actually going to be a taxable gift made by you to your spouse. Now, there are a few things that still work for you, and that's the annual gift tax exclusion on that 15000 But the, anything above that, that will be a taxable gift and it's going to your spouse. So, Jeff, uh, the there is some tax relief, though, on an annual basis to the non-citizen spouse, right? 
Yeah, there is. You're allowed to gift up to $157,000 within the um, newly, uh, we can't call it the unlimited qualified deduction, but the non-citizen spouse deduction. So it's a super annual gift. You can you can give away $157,000 this year. Last year it was 154,000. So it indexes slightly for inflation. And this kind of makes a lot of sense um, because in the end when Dave passes away and he wants to transfer all of his assets to his wife, that's going to be a big estate tax bill, won't it, Jeff? Oh, it would. But why don't we talk about before we jump to the estate tax, why don't we talk about a typical situation that probably people wouldn't even consider a gift? So Dave wants to pay for his wife's college and the bill is, you know, 160000 She's going to a, to a better school. Um, that would be a, a real world example of him giving a large chunk of money. He's paying for the college tuition. That's a gift. As long as he's paying directly to the to the institution and not to his wife, and then she pays the bill. So let's clear that up. If he gives it to the wife, you've got the $157,000 rule in place. If he gives it directly to the institution, as we've talked about on prior episodes, you, there's no accountability. That's not considered a gift. So that's an excellent uh, thing to think about, Dave. Also... In the event that there are medical bills that need to be paid, right? Again, for you know, refresher on qualified transfers, education, or health, a person can give by paying those bills, but directly to the institution, and it doesn't even uh, consume the fifteen thousand dollar annual gift tax uh, exclusion. So that's a that's a great idea there, Jeff. And yes, there are a, a lot of uh, a lot of marriages out there that have to do non-citizen spouse planning. So Dave, something else to consider. Now, we don't know what your wealth is. We don't know how much money you have. I mean, $157,000 is a chunk of money. So thinking more towards the end game, a thing to consider, Dave, with your spouse and your legal and tax advisor is... The use of that 157000 or part of it to create a pop-up in the event of your death. What's one of the, one of the best ways to fund a pop-up, Jeff? Insurance. Life insurance. Ah, so the non-citizen spouse can own life insurance yep. on the citizen spouse, and it be funded by that... Uh, part of that $157,000. So something to think about, discuss with your legal and tax advisors and your insurance professional. And you can see here that a normal everyday transaction that occurs is now under a different microscope, a different lens, a different filter, because there's a non-citizen spouse involved. So it's got special rules and you need competent advice. So let's say... Dave, you didn't know anything about this. You didn't call into our show. Life went on and you built up some significant uh, wealth. There are some techniques, probably for another episode, where you can, uh, your executor will use a technique uh, to 
fund a trust called a qualified domestic trust, and that would enjoy the benefit of the unlimited marital deduction, and your spouse can receive income from that. But that's for another show. Dave, thanks for the call, and good luck. Our next caller is Saul from Seattle. Jeff, uh, this one's right in your wheelhouse. Saul has questions about tax court, U.S. tax court. He has a situation, and he's trying to learn about what options he has. His audit didn't go well. He's done a few things through the appeals, but he wants to learn about tax court. So what are the tax implications of tax court? Great question from Saul, Ron. So Saul, if you've exhausted all those appeal options, you're going to tax court. Tax court is not free. It's a $60 filing fee and you would be paying your counsel and your your accountant to a system. Um, it is a court of law and procedure. So going into the court with an argument that the auditor wasn't fair, they picked on you or they didn't like some of your documents is not a good argument. Now you have to get into the very specific applications of the law and of procedure. So there can't be a lot of grandstanding done by your attorney in tax court, huh? It is not like television legal dramas, no. Too bad, Saul, because don't we learn so much about our legal system from watching TV? <laughs> so, so Jeff, um, Saul is in this situation. He wants to learn, I guess, because he's probably um, at that point that he has to make a decision. So I've heard of these different types of letters, the 30-day letter, the 90-day letter. So what do they mean? What are they all about? Well, if you've gone through... One of your collection processes is the CDP hearing, the collection due process hearing, and you end up with a result you disagree with. You have 30 days to appeal to tax court. If you're um, not that granular, if you just had a bad audit, you didn't like the results and you buried your head in the sand and you ignored all the letters that were coming, you probably got a statutory notice of deficiency um, sent by certified mail, and then you have 90 days from the date that's printed on the letter, not counting weekend, the, the last weekend. So it is a matter of time is of the essence, and you can't even be a day late. Saul's probably within this 90-day period, Jeff. He's, he's looking for uh, maybe some education. Uh, I'm sure he's working with a professional guiding him, but you know, he's looking for maybe a second opinion. So, so tax court is going to happen, let's say, for Saul. Um, he files. He has somebody advocating for him. Can, uh, can an enrolled agent or a CPA represent Saul in tax court? Not unless they have passed the non-attorney exam, the USTCP exam, but otherwise a enrolled agent or a CPA can only be there as a witness or a sister or expert to the attorney. So you need, you need a person who is qualified to represent you in tax court. That's a tax attorney or a United States 
uh, tax court professional, USTCP. Can you represent yourself? You can, and the court allows you some latitude for representing yourself pro se. Pro se. That's Latin for by yourself, I guess. That's Latin for try not to do it because <laughs> almost all of those cases lose. <laughs> okay, so so we're in tax court. It is uh, cold and to the point. There's not a lot of fun. There's not a lot of uh, you're out of order. You're out of order that can come. So what are some of the results that can come out of tax court? Go, no go? Tax court is a new review, the Latin would be de novo, where they review just the facts, none of the emotions, and the, the timeliness. Did you pay? Did you not pay? What was the item you were talking about? Is it justified? Is it not justified? They're getting into the granular discussion of the tax code and how it applies to your situation. So let's say you win, then you don't have to pay. You kind of get that no change, right? But what if you lose? Do you got to write a check right there? You don't have to write a check right there, but the clock is ticking. And of course, interest and penalties accrue. And then you don't want to ignore that either. That's how you got there in the first place. What if I still don't agree? What if Saul says, whoa, wait a second, I'm not going with it. Is there any more appeals? Well, you can go to the Court of Appeals. Um, they do have jurisdiction. Uh, but then there's the ultimate court, the Supreme Court. They rarely hear tax matters, but they do hear some. And you certainly can make a petition before the U.S. Supreme Court. So Saul... I hope that we've helped you here. Um, go back to your legal advisor, your tax advisor, uh, talk about tax court. You know, you could say, hey, you know, Jeff and Ron thought I should talk to you guys about that. Why not? Um, but Saul, uh, I just say uh, I appreciate you reaching out. That's what we're here for, for people who want to learn more and, you know, get a second opinion. But good luck, Saul. I hope it all works out for you. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next call is about a very important topic for us to think about given the situation we have in our current tax climate, the Roth conversion. So Joffrey from Jericho calls and he wants to know, is this a time to consider converting his Roth, I'm sorry, converting his traditional IRA to a Roth IRA known as a Roth conversion? And what are the tax implications? So, Jeff, what do you think of the Roth? 
Oh, I like Roth. Anytime we have something that's tax-free forever, those are mighty sexy words, mighty powerful words that money can grow tax-free and the government does not get a bite out of it. What do you think about that, Ron? Well, again, you know, we are uh, we're trying to help everybody with every move we make. Oh boy, isn't that a dream? So, so Joffrey, uh, this is a something to seriously consider. I'm I'm glad that you asked this question. So the traditional IRA, Jeff, or the traditional 401k, assuming that your employer allows, there's an opportunity for you to um, make a conversion of your pre-tax position in your IRA or your 401k and put it into a Roth position. So explain the mechanics of that. What happens when you convert? It's a great question. So you have to pay a toll to go from the taxable world to the non-tax world. Uh, the income that's in the uh, traditional IRA or 401k would then create a taxable event. This will be the last time that you'll pay taxes on that as you convert it to a Roth where it'll be tax-free forever. So, Joffrey, let's say you've got... $10,000 in a traditional IRA, and you wanted to convert it to a Roth IRA, you would have to pay tax on the $10,000 as if it were ordinary income this year, this tax year. So Jeff, um, we've got uh, quite a lot going on this year, 2020, with regard to tax. We've seen uh, uh, relief given and the question on the taxation of that relief we've discussed on in uh, prior episodes and we are not giving tax advice here we're giving education discuss a uh, a conversion with your tax advisor but from an education standpoint we've got ten thousand dollars that has never been taxed before right that was fun you funded an ira and got a deduction for it Hopefully. Now you're thinking about converting it to a Roth to take, take advantage of those things Jeff brought up. So, Jeff, can Joffrey um, convert from his traditional IRA to the Roth IRA and, I guess, take money from that conversion to pay his taxes? No, can't do that. That violates the... That violates the uh, rules, so you can't do that. Or you'd have a premature withdrawal. You'd have a taxable event plus a penalty. Um, so you really want to use other assets would be a more functional way to go. So, Joffrey, you need to find the money from another source. But you'd have an additional $10,000 of taxable income. So what happens from a tax planning standpoint, if all of a sudden you have an extra $10,000 of income, what can be impacted, Jeff, if somebody has extra income? Well, so certain deductions like medical, the 7.5% of adjusted gross income, that's now increased. That could cause um, more of Social Security to be taxed. There are other incremental or statutely required, statute required, 
increases depending upon the size of the adjusted gross income. So your adjusted gross income goes up. What could happen? Um, well, Jeffrey's a young guy, Jeff. He's he's not at Social Security age and, and doesn't have a lot of medical expenses, but he has student loans. So just throwing it out there, the deduction of your student loan interest is a function of your adjusted gross income. So you've just increased, right? You've just raised the ceiling on your adjusted gross income because of this conversion. Now, the tax benefits in the future are fantastic, Right, because of that tax-free, it's it's growing tax-free. When you pull it out, it's tax-free as long as you follow the rules, though, Jeff. Right, the rules on on distributions. We'll save that for another show. Right, but um, getting back to Joffrey, Jeff, this could be a good year potentially to do this conversion. Right, this might be a huge year. Uh, most four hundred one k plans, most. Uh, traditional IRAs have somehow taken a hit because of the pandemic, so their values have have been reduced. Uh, everybody expects values to rise again at some point uh, and then grow further beyond that. Certainly, the chairman of the Federal Reserve was talking about that the other day. Uh, so, yeah, if it takes a little bit of a step back, this would be a great opportune time to do that. There are so many things about uh, this decision. It's kind of beyond the time limit. We'll save it for another, uh, another episode. But Joffrey, good luck. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. In our next episode of What are the Tax Implications? We will be discussing topics with callers about the independent contractor or the gig worker or the 1099 worker or the W-2 worker, the classification of employment and the tax implications. Then we'll be talking about the non-filer, person who doesn't think they need to file, forgot to file, uh, procrastinates filing, or is just avoiding filing. And what are the tax implications? And lastly, we'll be discussing the important but basic estate planning documents, wills, powers of attorney, etc. 